Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. And all God's people said... Amen, amen. As we uh, continue our worship service, we come now to the time in which we hear and receive the reading of God's Word. We invite you to remain standing in body or in spirit from the reading of God's Word that comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 7 through 17. Let's give our attention to God's holy Word. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts... Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out to the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, God, we do, we hold on to these words that you are mine, and we we sit believing that we belong to you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would belong to your truth and your son, and that today you would shape us as you shake us with your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We know that introductions are important, and uh, sometimes it's really good to make an, an entrance. It was great to have our kids, right, come and, and make an entrance as they weigh palm branches. And, and I got to say, I was impressed. I did not see any siblings hit any other siblings in the face. Um, that's my, one of my favorite Palm Sunday traditions, um, but it sound, looks like we did a good job of separating brothers and sisters from each other, so... Uh, uh, good work. But uh, uh, this idea of an introduction is important. And every time I think about an introduction, I thought about it again last night, watching the final four as they were introducing the teams. It, it brought back my, my favorite memories of introductions, which is watching the 90s Bulls be introduced on WGN. Um, that was one of my favorite things, was not just watching Michael Jordan and the Bulls play, but I wanted to make sure I turned the game on early so I would see the introduction that would happen, especially if they were at home. And because if they were at home, then the, the PA announcer, um, he, he went through the visiting team's um, roster just as absolutely quickly and with as little emotion as possible. 
Um, he'd be like in uh, at center is Bill Lambeer, at shooting guard Joe Dumars, point guard Isaiah Thomas, and the coach of the Detroit Pistons is Chuck Daly. And then they would shut off the lights and they would start this this music that would happen, and you knew something was happening, and they would be like ding, 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 and like so, like little Aaron, and you can imagine little Aaron getting all excited, and then the the he would come up and he said, and now the starting lineup for your world champion Chicago Bulls, and the place would go crazy, right? And so then uh, they would introduce Scotty Pippen was always the first one. Six, seven from central Arkansas, Scotty Pippen. And, and Scotty would run through the line and he'd give a high five. And then, he, you know, he'd give a chest bump to the guy at the end of the line. Right. And so little Aaron did the exact same thing with his chairs and tables and anything he could find. And every once in a while, I'd chest bump the wall, you know, just for fun. Um, so, you know, he'd go through Horace Grant and then it'd be the man in the middle. Bill Cartwright, and uh, he'd come down, and um, you know, then it was John Paxson, and then finally, all the announcer had to do was say, from North Carolina, and the whole place went crazy, right? 6-6, Michael Jordan. I've obviously saw this a few times, <laughs> right? And so, like, I mean, by the time, you know, Jordan came out, the whole place was a buzz, right? The introduction, the, the entering in, it's important to make an entrance. And now, after we've been taking this journey with Jesus, he finally makes his way. Jesus from Nazareth, entering into the place. And what does the introduction do? Do they, do they cheer? Yes, but it also sets the city abuzz. Um, our scripture, when we read it, said, And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Uh, the message translation says it this way. As he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, unnerved. People were asking, What's going on here? Who is this? Another version said the whole city was in uproar. That there was something that was going on, that the city and the people and everybody was shaken. You've been there before, right? Sometimes good, sometimes bad. But something has happened in your life in which you are shaken, in which your life has been disordered and you don't know exactly what to do. And this is the whole city of Jerusalem. Jesus has come into town. It is the week of the Passover feast. There's a lot of people that have come into Jerusalem and they don't know what's going on. The whole city is shaken. Now I want us to, I want to take us back a couple thousand years and I want us to understand what Jerusalem would have been like and a little bit of why Jesus's entrance was so important because it really is um, important for us to understand the context of Jesus's entrance and the contrast between Jesus's entrance and the entrance of the governor or the Roman official, a guy by the name of Pilate. So um, last spring I got to go to Israel, and while I was there in Israel, they have this huge model of what it would have looked like in the first century in Jerusalem. So I think we've got, so this is a picture where we're looking from the west to, we're looking from the east. I, don't, I always get it confused if I'm looking from the west or east. I don't know. But we're looking this way um, into Jerusalem. Jesus came from the east. So we're, we're, we're on the east side looking west. Um, now, so as you can tell, just a couple things to really point out. One, this big, that big thing that you see right there in the center, that is the temple. 
All right, so the rest of that is Jerusalem. Can you see how central and important the Temple Mound is there? Um, and there are some in the middle of the Temple, um, that would have been kind of the Holy of Holies. Um, that, that central area, that would have been the religious part of the temple. Um, on the left side of the temple, it would have been like the treasury and the economic center of the temple. And then on the right side, you see these four little fortresses. That would have been the Antonio Fortress, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Now, um, this would have been the direction that Jesus would have entered in on the Palm Sunday Road. Um, he would have come there. And so I think we've got a little circle here. So there's a little tiny gate that you can see in that oval that is there, that would have been the place that Jesus would have entered on the Palm Sunday Road. He would have gone down a hill, across a valley, and then back up in the journey to Jerusalem. Right there is the entrance that Jesus would have entered. Now, I mentioned the Antonio Fortress. I think we've got one there. That is the place in which whenever there was a, 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 an official, when there was a king or a governor like Pilate, this is where he would have stayed. He would have stayed on Temple Mound, right there, right at the center of a life that would have been there, which is really interesting because here on the temple, and when we see what Jesus does a little bit later, is the temple was not just a religious place, but it was an economic, an economic place. The treasury was there, and it was also a political place because that is where they would have stayed. And just the size and scope of it is absolutely massive. Now, um, so Jesus came in, he would have come in and then entered right into the, the temple as he came into town. Now I think the, the next one, what you're going to see is that this long oval that you see, this would have been the route that Pilate would have taken. He would have marched through the city. He would have come from the west and he would have entered into the city. And so what you can see, the first thing I want you to know is that there is this huge contrast between Pilate's journey and between Jesus' journey. Because Pilate came from a different direction, he came from the west, it would have all been about power and prestige. There would have been a lot of pre-planned fanfare that would have been there. If you've ever watched Aladdin, then imagine that parade when, when Prince Ali came to town, right? Either the animated one or the newer one, doesn't matter. There's this huge production, all right? This is what I imagine that when Pilate came to town, there was this huge production all about the power. And as you can tell, he marched right through the city. Right? But Jesus' entrance is very, very different. And his journey is very different. He would have come from the east. He did not march through town. It was about humility. He was on the donkey. And there's this spontaneous nature to it. They didn't roll out the red carpet. Instead, they took off their coats and their cloaks and they laid them down. And they gathered palm branches. They would have grabbed them from the tree around and they were waving them. Now it's really interesting what they were saying. So they said Hosanna, which most of the time we think is it's just another thing like Alleluia or just some sort of praise. But Hosanna has a very specific mention, meaning. It means Lord save us. And so what they are crying out is to be saved. Lord save us. And they also use this term son of David, which is that would have been who the Messiah is. And so they are saying, Lord, save us. Be the new king like David and restore Israel to the way that it was. Um, because in this time, Israel was under Roman occupation. And there was, uh, so there was Romans and there were Israelites and there was others who were all living there. 
And they wanted it back to the way that it was. Back to order and normalcy and stability where the Jewish kingdom got to have an actual kingdom. And, and, and one of the ways that we can understand this is in some ways the palm branches are spontaneous because they grabbed what was available, but also it would have been an intentional thing. So a few centuries before Jesus came, there was this, this guy with the last name Maccabee who, who entered into Jerusalem, who promised to be the king. And he became king, and he led a military revolt. And when he came to town, they waved palm branches. So one of the things that we can imagine, that when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, and they grabbed palm branches and they started waving them, it was a way for them to wink to Jesus and be like, we know what you're doing. We know that you are coming to town. We know that you're coming to conquer. And so we are calling forth that as we wave palm branches. You know and we know what we're doing. Other people may not, but we know. Don't let the donkey fool you. And this is what we do, right? Is that there are times in which we wink at Jesus and we say, God, I know what you're doing. You've done it before. I want you to do it exactly the same again. Or I know what I need you to do and be. And so I'm going to give you a sign. Hey, I've done this before. Let's just do the same thing again. And so we choose palms. We choose these things so that we can tell God, God, I know exactly what you're doing. But Jesus does something different. Because nowhere does he say, pick up the palm branches and wave them for me. No, the only thing that Jesus asked for is for a donkey. He tells his disciples to go and get a donkey. And this is part of our Christian life. We choose palms. We want this king who is victorious, who helps us to take down the enemy. But Jesus chooses a donkey, this humble entrance. Now we get this reference from the book of Zechariah. This is Zechariah chapter 9. Let me read a little bit of Zechariah to you. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. I will take the chariot's from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now what's very, very different about Jesus' entrance is, is using this verse to help us understand. Instead of like the Maccabee entrance, which was to come and to expel the Gentiles from the land, here Jesus is coming so that he can rule all the nations. His rule will extend. He's opened up the kingdom, not just to the Jews, but also to fulfill God's long-term promise, which is to come and be for everybody. He will extend the ruling. That's not what the people expected. They said, Jesus, come for us, not them. But Jesus said, I came for everyone. And then when he gets there, he does a very surprising thing. He starts to turn over the tables. One of these days, I'll be brave enough to turn over the altar table in a church. I've never been brave enough to do that. Um, but like here, it just, it's just the craziness of this image. Of he enters in as a conquering king, and then he goes to what could be his allies. 
And he turns them over and he says, you have made what should be a house of prayer into a den of robbers. And, and in those days, they would have taken advantage of the outsiders who were coming in who needed to make sacrifices by charging them high prices in order to make those sacrifices. And so Jesus here is disrupting everything. The political order, the economic order, the religious order, he is throwing all those things up. Now what's interesting is that this reference to a house of prayer also comes from the Old Testament. And Jesus gives us these clues so that we can understand a little bit more of what he is doing. And this is what it says in Isaiah 56, where it talks about the house of prayer. It begins with these words, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord says, These I will bring to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, and give them joy in my house of prayer, the foreigners, the outsiders. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Is he saying it's not just about me coming to be a Jewish king. It's about me coming to establish a kingship over the entire world. He is turning the religious expectations on their head, and he's saying my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. And this had to really shake them up. Because people did not know what he was doing. Is he a king? They wave palm branches, but he came on a donkey. Is, is he for us because he's one of us? Or is he against us because he turned over our tables? And then he, he does things and he brings healing. And the children are crying out, but what are the adults doing? Don't they know? Don't we know? And so you can only imagine the, the chaos and the disorder that was happening here. Now, you and I, we are not people who like to be shaken. We are not people who like our lives to be turned overhead. We like order. Have you ever had your morning routine interrupted and then forgot to brush your teeth? Okay, nobody's ever done that. May it just be me, okay? Right? We like our pattern, our routine, our behavior. We like it when there is order. And you and I, we, stri we, we thrive whenever we know what's going on and we experience what's going on. Order matters a great deal. Order. We like it. But life does not stay ordered, does it? No, there are all sorts of chaos agents that enter into our world. Sometimes they're children. Sometimes it's marriage. Sometimes there's an outside force in our life. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's wonderful and holy. And other times it's destructive and sinful. But all these things enter into our life and it causes disorder. Now we hate disorder. We despise disorder. We love to know what is going on. But, but life is a prime in which we are given disorder. And what do we do when we experience disorder is we want to go exactly back to where we were in order. I mean, this was one of the things that we all saw in COVID is, is we, we had order, we had normalcy, then we had COVID and we had disorder. And what did we want? We wanted to go back to order. We wanted to go back to normal. We wanted to experience back what it was. And this is the same thing that happens in our life. And again, it can be bad or it can be good. And I believe right now that there are some of us who are in this time and the season of disorder. 
in which we don't know what to do and we don't know where we're going and we're not sure what it will look like. And sometimes this disorder can be extremely painful. I think about the way that somebody talked about um, losing a, a loved one in their family. And it said that losing the, a loved one in their family is sometimes like playing a game of musical chairs and the seat has been removed and nobody knows exactly what to do next. Who organizes the Easter gathering? It was always them. And there's this disorder that happens because of grief, right? You, you have this pattern and then you lose it. I don't know your story, but I know that you have one. And somewhere in your story is disorder. And probably right now. Probably there are pockets of your life and maybe even big pockets of your life that are not situated. And this is the stage of where God's people would have been during Holy Week. It's in a time of disorder. And that disorder leads to chaos and even feeling of grief, remorse, pain, and misery. And, and we want to get out of it. We do not want to experience it. And so we want to go back to order. This was the story of the God's people in the Old Testament. Is, is they wanted to go back. I think about the Exodus, which is one of the major stories in the Old Testament. God's chosen people. They were slaves, but they had order. Then God set them free. Wonderful thing. But all of a sudden they find themselves wandering around in the wilderness. Disorder. So after a couple of weeks, what did they say? Let's go back. Because slavery has order, it's better than chaos. But that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to go from order to disorder to reorder. It's a reorientation. It's a new way of doing things. And this is where you and I have to understand that this is the journey. From being slaves to being unknown free people to finally coming into the promised land. And the same thing is true about the other major Old Testament story. So you have the exodus and you have the exile. So there was a time in which God's chosen people, they entered into the promised land. Life was good. They knew their routines and the rhythms. And for a while they were following God, but then they would not follow God. Disorder would happen and they'd have to follow God again. But there was also a season in which they were expelled from the Holy Land. That the, the place in Jerusalem, they were not able to live anymore, and they were kicked out of their home country. They were disordered. But then, through a miracle, God invited them back in, and they were able to experience reorder. They were able to come back home again and be able to reestablish their life there in the promised land. Order disorder, reorder. And so what we see here in our story is that when we take this journey from order to disorder, and this is where, this is where Palm Sunday is, is in the very much disorder, but there's this promise of reorder. And this is where we want to be at. Now the Psalm of Ascent that we read today, it, it is a psalm about being reordered and what that feels like. And so as, as Reuben read earlier, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. They could only imagine ever coming back home. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for us. And the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. This is what happens in this, in this journey from order to disorder to reorder. 
is that when we come to reorder, we can become filled with joy because we know the depths of pit and sorrow. I'm going to think about people who've gone through surgeries and then they've been able to come out on the other side and how good it feels and how they don't take for granted some things anymore. There is a great joy that comes with it. And this is part of the Christian life, is when we come through the chaos and being shaken and we experience the joy of stability of Jesus, we are filled with joy. I love the way that Eugene Peterson says it. He says, joy is the characteristic of a Christian pilgrimage. Joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence. It is a natural result of what happens when we go from order to disorder to reorder. We can experience the joy because we know where we are and we are thankful for where we are. It is a natural consequence, a natural result of what is going on. And so that's my prayer for you. A couple of things I want you to know is that Jesus does come to shake us up. And sometimes our disorder is divinely done. And that we should expect to be disordered by the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and the truth of the word become flesh as Jesus Christ. That we should expect that there are times, if I am never disordered when I study scripture, if I am never disordered when I come to, to worship, if I'm never disordered in Sunday school class, then what I've done is I said, Jesus, I know exactly who you are, and I'm going to hold on to my image of you instead of who you really are. You and I should experience disorder regularly. As Jesus says, you're close, but let me shake it up a little bit and tell you what's the truth and who I am. And we need to experience that. That's a good thing because he too will be gracious enough to take these pieces and to help us reconstruct and provide reorder and reorientation. But also know that at the end of whatever disorder you're in right now, God is in the process of redeeming it for good. To provide reorder, to reestablish his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there can be a greater sense. And I know it doesn't feel like that today. I know right now and today it just feels like disorder. That nothing makes sense, that the future you imagined is not going to happen but God is saying, I can take this and I can do something greater. I can take a donkey and I can use it for a kingly entrance. And I can take a cross and I can use it as the symbol of love and generosity. And he can take your disorder and he can make it reordered for his purposes. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.